0: How's it going everyone? Today's special guest is with Jason Cool, who is one of the top security professionals on the touring circuit especially the entertainment industry and one of the good people that I can kind of call a friend to kind of lead on towards for help and questions especially as we navigate this crazy COVID landscape. So I want to welcome you to the uh, podcast Jason.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: How have you uh, been? I know obviously our industry is kind of crazy right now, but uh, you've always seemed like you're very positive, and I know you're getting back into the fitness stuff, like I kind of am, so it's kind of cool to see out there just trying to stay afloat.
1: Yeah, man, it's been a good opportunity just to kind of take advantage of being home and making up for the lost time with family, and uh, uh, take a little bit of a uh, view from a personal uh, perspective as well, and uh, uh, like you mentioned, the health thing and improving on that, just kind of trying to find different challenges while sitting at home here uh, that we would normally get on the road that we're not getting right now.
0: No, and it's one of those coolest too. I know we talked last week a little bit, but uh, to have someone like you to kind of piggyback ideas off of or talk about kind of what's going on, it's very, I'm very fortunate to be working with or around people like yourself, and I think it's one of those things where as we kind of open back up and get back to where we were before, we kind of need each other, those type of people like us, to kind of let's filter out all the negative energy and all this other bullshit and let's focus on being good people and really getting good at our craft because that's what's going to make a difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How did you kind of settle into the security world? What kind of, uh, what was the catalyst that kind of got you kind of, uh, thinking about it?
1: Well, I got my degree in graphic design. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, uh, So, I started doing security just part-time in college, just like a lot of other people do uh, back home in Wisconsin. And um, I got my degree and um, got bored with my degree and started to um, pursue security full-time. I kept the security gig once I started working in my field just for something fun to do. And uh, the company I was working for was a nationwide company. And the Milwaukee manager came to me and said, hey, we've got an opening for a management role in Denver. Um, so I showed interest in it and talked to a few people. And from the time that he told me about the opening to when I actually moved to Denver was maybe a week tops. Wow. Um, so picked up and rolled out to Denver um, where I uh, was working in uh, venues out here, uh, Mile High Stadium, Red Rocks, the Coliseum, uh, a couple of the universities are around here doing the uh, venue staffing side of things. I actually came out here as our scheduling manager at first. And that is a pain I wish upon, nobody managing thousands of people on a game day for multiple events is a lot of brain damage. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I um, it's, it's, it's crazy too because you're kind of, yeah, you represent the company and yourself and what you do, but the minute one of these people you schedule kind of messes up or, and I'm not talking about 15 minutes late, yeah, it's an issue, but someone that grabs someone wrong or is drinking or looking like a fool, you, it kind of falls on you and it's like, I don't think a lot of people realize it's somewhat like you, your position when it comes to scheduling. Like, there is a lot of sleepless nights. And it's one of those things where I actually, sometimes when we do these cruises or events where it's 20, 30 people, I'm like, man, just if I can sleep for eight hours and not worry about any of these idiots, I'm going to feel great.
1: You, you know what? It, it, it's funny you mentioned that. So, yeah, that is a tough thing to deal with what kept me up that night was the single man overnight in the middle of nowhere and that person doesn't show up for the midnight shift check and trying to find somebody to do that at midnight no it's
0: <laughs> too. Where just recently uh, the our, the pl- high promoter whoever like basically said hey we have the budget for one guy in the middle of nowhere like there's no street lights like we have cases where cars try and park back here at kids party whatever but it's like well for the safety sake of it i need two guys and so something like that too is kind of weird but yep. when you get the 30 bits out hey man i'm feeling sick i'm like you piece of crap like what are you doing
1: <laughs> yes yeah absolutely so but uh yeah so i did the scheduling thing for about the first year that i was here and then i moved into more of a manager role uh, so bouncing from venue to venue uh and then in that was 2003 that i came out here in 2006 i moved to oklahoma and uh primary gig down there, still the same company, was working with the University of Oklahoma Athletics program. Um, I was down there for about 10 months and realized that um, I was more interested in the music side of things than I was the sporting side of entertainment security. Right. In right. 2007, I made a move out to San Diego and started working more on music-based events. I had a couple of amphitheaters and arenas out there, and also when I moved out there, I got involved with... The Coachella's, the stage coaches, and a bunch of other events that Southern California has, just to uh, round out, you know, the uh, um, the resume, so to speak. Right. Yeah. It's
0: what in our industry, I, it always feels like the resume is always changing in terms of clients, events, or and every time there's a God forbid a, a shooting or a bomb threat or something where it's like. It kind of rocks us on our faces. It's one of those things where we always have to adapt. Like it's we're the one part of the industry that you kind of like. You're always kind of working. If that makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely.
0: It's tough Mm -hmm. for people to kind of to kind of process that. I mean, I know with COVID kicked off, obviously the whole industry was affected by it. But it's it's one of those things too. And you know, promoters and whoever security is probably the last thing people think about but it's also the first thing they try and cut to save money or whatever. And when stuff, bad stuff like that happens, you kind of realize that there is a value in what we do. And I can't stress enough the importance of continuously trading and kind of making yourself better.
1: Yeah, it's something that uh, myself and uh, guys that are on the team uh, with the current tour that I'm on right now, I've been talking about over this whole thing of um, preparing for what's ahead. Now, a few of us we went ahead and did like the COVID compliance training uh, to understand that, kind of wrap our heads around that. I know one thing that we really grasped out of that training, like we, we thought for large tours, it was just going to be something that could roll into the venue guy's role. Right. Um, or if you're lucky enough to have two venue guys that that other venue guy could take it over. We realized pretty quickly into that training, this is going to be a mad job because it's going to have its own advance of its own. Uh, just like we do from a security standpoint, um, it's going to take one person to direct and run that from a tour inside and make sure that the venue is compliant everywhere that we go. Um, so it, it's if you try to do it with one person on some of these larger tours, it's going to be like you're doing double work.
0: Right, and some of the stuff Lab doing now with the driving stuff, like you have to start worried about the cars. It could all be car bombs. You got the guy that has to do the temperature checks. What's the protocol if the person, the group that came into the show, has the temperature hit? Do you let the rest of the group in? What's the signage for uh, the directions where people can walk to, come in, and come out? And it's it's very fascinating too because even the EMS people, the local yep. venues and cities, they still got to deal with the dehydration, the the diabetic attacks, the heart attacks, the fight, the cuts, the scrapes. Now you got to add COVID to it, and it kind of really. It's kind of crazy how much it actually adds to it, to the whole process. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's a whole other beast to consider.
0: The uh, it's funny when you talk. I got the COVID compliance training too, and the other thing I did recently was this workplace violence training, uh, because my company has kind of had to deal with some like termination notices. But with everything going on with the pandemic and people not working and no stimulus money and all that stuff, like it's people are starting to change too. It adds a whole other kind of dynamic to, Hey, we might show up to a venue one day, uh, say whatever, live nation, AG, wherever we are. And there's a disgruntled employee who has worked all these hours or had lost their job recently. Cause there's cutbacks and we, we might have to deal with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's the, the, this whole COVID thing is doing a number on people's mentalities, uh, and just mental state in general, you know, um, you're you're seeing it whether you're driving somewhere or if you walk into a grocery store, how uh, people are a lot more aggressive and a lot more tense and on edge. It's it's everywhere now.
0: Now, how would you do? Would you do it with your clients, artist? Is obviously you're involved with the planning and the safety, totally all that. But there must be another dynamic now where you're kind of like, okay, guys, this is how the dynamics change. Like you can still do your shtick or whatever you do on stage, but just so you know this is what's kind of changing. Do you find that the artist is kind of receptive and trusts you to make the right call?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I, I'm fortunate enough, the current guys that I'm working with that are pretty understanding and they hear us out, they know what they hire us for and they're going to listen to what we're telling them for. Tonight. I know there's some instances where there might be a little bit of questioning or an ongoing conversation, but it's always a constructive, ongoing conversation.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, Jason, that I'm kind of curious about, especially hearing from you, is when you're kind of out there doing security at a local venue, what are some things you're looking for uh, to make sure that your events and show goes off well? Or what are some stuff that you see you're kind of like you have to correct the local staff?
1: You know, a lot of it, uh, it really depends if you're in country or out of country. Um, I, we, I've seen – over the course of the years traveling that uh, as a country here in the state, we lack training compared to in Europe, compared to parts of South America, compared to Australia, places like that. Um, So as sad as it is, our home country is where we seem to lack the most. Um, I I think that we found that even just being able to put eyes on a guard and seeing if they're engaged uh, with what they're doing, whether they're standing in the barricade or helping people find their seats, or working at the gates doing searches, you can tell right there from a lot of body language what exactly is going on with that individual guard's mindset.
0: Right. And so I think, for like for myself, that uh, I I think you and I both kind of treat this as a career. This is what we do. We love. People that do the event security, some of them treat it as a, as a, as a gig. It's just a paycheck. So they don't put that kind of heart and soul into what they do for work. And I think there is a disconnect there. But I do come across some awesome guards that are like, this is like these people get it. It's cool to see that kind of enthusiasm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You you get your great guards, your people that want to be there. But you're right. You know, this might be someone's third job for the day. You know, and they're just coming from whatever the gig was before, and they're just there grabbing a paycheck. Um, You know, when, when you do run into people that are having a hard time. Dealing with that day for whatever reason is. I've always tried to make friends with those supervisors and managers in those areas, um, and even if they allow it, and I always kind of precursor my conversations going into each security meeting saying, "I most likely will interact with your staff as long as it's okay with you." Right. You know, so right. if someone looks like they're, like I said, just down on the day, you know, try to talk to them and lighten them up, and you know, see if you can bring them up a little bit. And if not, then you turn to the supervisor and say, "Hey, try to help this guy out." Um, but trying to stay positive in it all, um, you know, because, again, you don't know what that person's doing with from whatever just happened.
0: Right. And well, so like too, if, if you're CSC or, well, it's just mega companies that's global, it must be kind of tough to kind of find those people because you're always hiring, doing hiring fairs for 50, 60 people, which looks like every event. And so yep. I do think they devalue the role of the security guard, the guy or girl that are out there doing the work because they don't put an emphasis on You're going to do this for $8 an hour. You're searching bags. Okay, if you do have a gun bid, hopefully the cops are right there because you're going to be dealing with it at the front of the door. So it's like I I definitely can see anger. I don't know if there's a way to kind of put an emphasis back on these companies to kind of, hey, take care of your people and they'll take care of you. But I don't know. It's it's a weird weird dynamic.
1: Yeah, with some of the large companies, you see that they – obviously take care of their managers and they care about their managers and they communicate with them. Right. Depending, depending on the market, the supervisors may be 50 50 on whether they're fully invested on what they're doing. And once those supervisors lose draw, then that just feeds into the staff. You can see it spread like wildfire on where the supervisors are solid and making sure their staff is involved versus the ones that are just putting them on post and walking away for a smoke break for the next hour.
0: Right. One of the things in the security meetings I do, I always let these guys know, hey, I'm with a band that will stop the show if they see security not paying attention. Or, And I always, when it happens, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does happen, I feel so embarrassed for that person and the security brand itself. I'm like, man, like these guys are playing to 15 20,000 people. And that one second they see you on your cell phone or taking videos or it's just – I can't reiterate enough to people that would be listening to this. Like you do have a responsibility to do your job and it's, I'm not, these people are just humans. You might love the band. I'm a fan of bands too, but I, if I'm doing a gig, I, I got to do the gig because I'm responsible for people's lives.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's very hard to get people to invest in that uh, mindset, especially with the rates that people are paid because it's such a cut road, cut road industry right now uh, in terms of, keeping your bottom line somewhat manageable as well as paying staff, but paying them at a decent rate to not completely lose your profit. Right. Um, You know, it just filters down with just how competitive everything is right now. And we see that from uh, a staff side. We see it on a touring side and you see it in all the parts too. You know, this lighting guy might be the greatest, but you're going to pay three times more than what you would for that lighting guy from that company. So we see it all over the place.
0: Yeah, we, I think we get fortunate when you have a, a tight crew that everyone kind of buys into the same kind of notion of let's work as a team. And that definitely, it definitely works, especially when you are on an 18-month world tour and having some real long days to have those kind of that core group that gets it. Yeah, absolutely. How important for you is it is the relationship with law enforcement in some places like when we go to South America or Mexico or Europe where you have to deal with the local military?
1: Honestly, I feel it's more important than the local staff in most of those situations, you know, depending on where you're going, but, you know, there's places to be comfortable in, like you've used, for example, South America, and there's places to be on your P's and Q's, Um, but, yeah, I think it's almost more important than the local staff down there.
0: Yeah, that communication is really key, especially when it comes to if you have to use a motorcade or... I know when I was last in Paris, the riots were going on our hotel was one area and we had to literally get to the venue and drive around or through this crazy protest with tear gas. And you're kind of like, well, who's the law enforcement contact? How can we get through here? Can we get an escort? And yep. it's, it's, it, that stuff's very vital, man. I, a lot of people don't utilize that. They're too afraid to kind of ask for help. But if those yep. resources are there, use them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's the, uh, especially in places like Mexico and South America, hiring those local guys that we hire to be our go betweens and leaning on them. That, that's what makes it easier, you know, to instead of trying to have those conversations and not fully understand the conversation with the language barriers. Right. right. Yeah.
0: When you're watching the news, um How important is it to stay on top of issues that come up, whether it's a protest or there was a shooting in the city or there is a huge whatever, like that's for me, I find that I kind of have to stay in tune with what's going on in the world. And if you don't, you can kind of get caught up in the madness of where you are.
1: I mean, to be honest with you, that's the reason I have probably a quarter of the apps on my phone between the (laughs) twitters and the different news outlets and everything, just to see that. and. Even if it's raising a hand to a null event, at least it's raising a hand to say, "Hey, what about this?" Right. You know, I, I've, we we've learned as we've traveled, too much information is better than not enough information.
0: Right, and that kind of leads into my next part. When it comes to social media and threats or weird kind of stuff that gets sent your way or whatever from bands or even the crew, what what is your kind of? How do you kind of deal with that? Are you kind of? Reaching out to the local venues, putting out a bolo. Like, what do you, what's some stuff you're working on when you do that?
1: Uh, it depends on which clients I'm with, uh, you know, and if I'm working as, as by myself or I'm working, you know, with a team of guys, you know, um, it, it really depends on first qualifying that and saying, okay, we've heard from this person before. You know, this is just a, 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 a basically happier in town kind of note versus, hey, this is something we need to take more seriously. And we start digging into some of our um, higher ability background checking
0: folks. How important is a routine for you? Say you're the venue guy, and it's a 30 city tour in the states, and you have two shows, day off show, whatever it is, something where it's not too strenuous. Do you do you find that having a routine every day makes that job easier for you?
1: Oh yeah, without a doubt. You know because you, you find you start a tour, you get into the first week or two weeks worth of shows, and you're trying to work out uh, what I like to call my hiccups, you know, right? How to produce passes, passes quicker, how to uh, get guards briefed and ready, you know, just getting general information printed out to hand out to the guards each day, uh, and you dial that stuff in as you come, and as we kind of joke, you figure it out by the time the tour is over, right? Right. Uh, so, But routine is huge. And then that being said, routine on an off day is huge as well. Um, You know, starting to get more into the um, making sure the crew has go-to information for something has on an off day as well. So typically knocking that out on the last show night before that off day and getting that information out there as well. So um, it all rolls together, you know, from the time you get off the bus on that first show day all the way through the time you get on the plane to go home at the end of that run. Right. Uh, yeah.
0: How important is it to kind of keep the or establish some sort of command when it comes to the crew? Because I've dealt with crew guys that will post what hotel we're at, um, or they will say, "Hey, we're going to dinner here," or they'll post something, or they'll they'll show a room key or hotel room key, or they'll be like, "Oh, I just landed at this airport," and stuff like that. You do have to be cognizant of that, right?
1: Yeah, especially nowadays with uh, more that's going on in the world. Um, it's all brought up typically in my first security meeting that we do at production rehearsals and usually kind of let it lie at that point. Fortunately, I had some crew that listens, and you have everybody every once in a while that you're going to have to speak to someone. Um, but been pretty lucky. Knock on something that it stays that way. Um, right. But I've uh, been pretty lucky with people understanding the climate
0: of what we're living in right now have you done any of those uh steam cruises yet i have okay so and one of those things where uh, obviously the principles stay the same whether it's land-based or ocean-based but people are always fascinated when i tell them hey i'm doing this edm cruise or this rock cruise like well what's so hard about it there is a once you get that open water like you do have to understand how the coastal security, like who has jurisdiction, how the brig works, God forbid you have to use that. And yep. I, I find those are actually kind of a little more hectic because you're so isolated and you literally are all floating a one little box.
1: Yeah, well, and the ones that I've done haven't been from the artist standpoint, they've been from the venue standpoint. Uh, so it's uh, a lot more of understanding. First off, there's so many people running around working on those things, understanding what your role is. You know in conjunction with ship security and port security depending on where you're going into what country you're going into and um, there, there's a lot of uh, lines that can be blurred in more situation like that that you would think would be more controllable being on like you said a smaller environment it's really a bigger beast to handle than going in and out of an
0: amphitheater each day what are some of the difficult things about doing a stadium tour for you um I think the
1: hard hardest thing is probably just logistically, uh, you know, getting from point A to point B. Um, I know uh, one artist I was with for a while. We did baseball stadiums consistently for about three years, where we were doing ten to twelve of them every summer. Um, to the point where I was getting a bike to be able to get around, and I was bringing a second venue guy to help, you know, deal with that. Um, it's um, j- really the logistical moving from point A to point B. Um, there's some stadiums like the. Uh, Fenway Park up in Boston where your dressing rooms are on one side of the stadium from where the buses are, but once the concourses are open, you can't get to your dressing room. Um, <laughs> so um, logistical is probably number one issue. The advances usually go pretty well because they're big professional stadiums and they don't do a lot of shows, so they want to put the best foot forward for you. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think everything else kind of falls into place
0: when there is an event that say like the las vegas shooting or bataclan or manchester events like that do you find yourself as a professional and expert in your field that you kind of monday quarterback and i don't need that in the sense of well i would do this because i think a lot of these instances you can't really stop them until they happen and you kind of kind of mitigate the risk next time but when those happen, is is do you are you kind of do you take notes are you kind of like call your guys or girls and be like hey What if we did this or how, like, how important is it to kind of recover from something like that and work as a team to kind of perfect it again?
1: Yeah, it definitely turns into an open conversation. Uh, You know, whether it's people I'm touring with immediately at that moment or just friends in general, our network in general, how all of us communicate uh, just to bounce ideas off each other to um, safeguard as best as we can against that happening, you know, to uh, us, you know, um, I think the 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 saying that you never know how you're going to react until something actually happens is never more true in those kinds of situations. Um, but how you react is what, um, and how you have everybody around you prepared to react is what makes the difference.
0: Right. Do you think ego is healthy in our industry? And do you think there is a disconnect sometimes where some people have been doing it for so long where they get kind of, uh, I guess, gray in the tooth, but they don't want to adapt to the times and they still want to be that guy back from the 80s that was doing security.
1: I think ego is damaging, but confidence is good.
0: Right. So, like, how do you, how do you differentiate that? Because I think you're 100% correct. Um, it's just that it's, sometimes I see people that have so much ego it's like, if you're not willing to learn or ask for help or work with your team or kind of adapt to the situation, it seems like you're just, like, You're not better than the craft.
1: Right. Yeah, no, and and I think confidence plays into willing to have those open conversations where if you have ego more than confidence, you're going to scoff at any suggestion that's put out there. And like you said, you're you're going to stick with what worked back in the 80s or 90s versus what works now or what is realistic now. Right. One of the
0: things I've always kind of harped on is people that – they kind of treat this industry like it's all, it's all glorious, like all oh, your red carpets, vets, plaques, all this stuff. But the days are actually very – they the days that are mundane are actually the good days for you, like you and I. Yeah, And absolutely. a lot of times people, I think, don't realize that there's – we do a lot of steps, a lot of sitting around, a lot of watching the same elevator or walking around the venues. And so how do you kind of – are there some days where you – you kind of find yourself in a funk. Like, how do you kind of get out of that? If you're like, man, I've walked around this venue thirty times already today. I'm still four hours before doors. I'm losing my mind. Like, how do you kind of like help yourself get out of that stuff? You
1: know, usually it's uh, I like to chat with our crew, especially most of the time. My role falls into being a venue guy. Yep. You know, I'll quit, I'll go and spend time hanging out with our audio guys our video guys. You know, joke and have a have a personality. You know, be able to talk to them and. Uh, like you had mentioned, the close-knit crew uh, earlier. You know, you kind of each have a way to pick each other up and keep each other going for sure.
0: Yeah, I definitely find that if you can be human and be like just a good person and laugh it and like these are all brothers and sisters you actually have to live with on the road. Yeah. And the minute you start bringing in those negative feelings, or maybe you're just a prick, maybe that's your character flaw or whatever. But yep. I, don't, I don't think. I do think you're starting to get to the point now where, especially with COVID and how we bounce back from it, where those type of people, if you don't get lied and be a team player, like I think you're slowly going to filter yourself out.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's the, the industry is becoming more and more of that team you know, type of environment where um, I think even um, with COVID going on right now, we've seen on some of the Facebook pages and that where people blast people for doing whatever they're doing right now uh and it's not it might not end well for some of those people that want to put their yeah
0: and i I know exactly what you're talking about i've never been on it but i do (laughs) i do follow a page that makes fun of those people and i'm just like man like you can't have it both ways like do you, like, what do you want for the, like, you're mad at these people for working who got the COVID compliance, that got this training, that are, have a job or a specific skill that is able to go out and do stuff with artists. Why are you being a prick to those people? It's, it's just very, I, I don't know, it's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, Social media gets you eventually. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah,
0: it's sad too because there's some good people out there that kind of succumb to it and uh, again, we don't know what people go through at home or mental yeah. health issues or family. Like, so I, I totally I sympathize with that, but you could still be a professional and I wouldn't know what's going on if you're a professional. That's the way it should be. Okay. Yeah. What are some of your goals moving forward in this industry? Is there certain stuff you want to do? Do you want to start writing articles? Do you want to start Create these crazy syllabuses. Like, what are some goals you have for yourself?
1: You know, there, there's been conversations recently uh, with a few other people um, about training stuff. You know, like I mentioned, the training and how we're lacking, especially here in the states. Um, there's been a conversation about a creating like a staff training syllabus or course yep. uh, to administer. Uh, there's also been a conversation about getting. Touring guys on the same page, too. You know, obviously, there's their companies out there that have their way of doing things. There's a lot of us that are independent that are um, eventually looking to um, just to have consistency from tour to tour. We don't necessarily have to work for the same paycheck, you know, but at least get some consistency across the board for from my camp to your camp to this camp to you know right
0: like why can't if we're if we're doing a four band build stadium tour that those production rehearsals why aren't we all doing CPR why aren't right. we all taking a fire extinguisher a basic fire safety class EMT something where we can all kind of group bond together but those are all life saving skills that I mean I can't tell you the number of times I it's just crazy that that be I think you're I think it's a great idea
1: yeah. So, you know, it, like I said, that, that was born out of uh, the frustration with seeing the local staff and trying to lift things up there, um, and then just evolving into the tour side. Um, you know, re- really the bottom line is just trying to keep everybody safe and keep us all going home to our families at the end of the day. And um, some basic training could really help manage that.
0: Yeah. Right. If you, if a guy or girl came up to you and was like, "Hey, Jason, I want to get in the security world. Um, I, I like what you do. I'd love to do what you do." What advice are you giving them? And kind of, what are you kind of? Is there any? Say your kids or whatever wanted to be a, be what you wanted to be, or maybe even get law enforcement, something security related. What are you okay with that, or is there like what do you tell you One side or the other.
1: So if somebody comes up and says, hey, want to get into touring, how does that work? I pride myself on the fact that I started from the ground up. So I started as a yellow shirt guy at the gate out in the middle of nowhere and and worked my way into where I'm at right now. Um, So it's a lot of time put in uh, and and I hate using time served, so to speak, as I've earned this. But it is definitely a lot of time put in it's a lot of networking it's a lot of being personal and a lot about just making and understanding the relationships that you are making along the way um, right that that's the only reason i got to where i'm at is i you know i'm friends with everybody that i've gotten engaged through and the reason that's good is just because we've worked well together we realize that, and we've built on that
0: you uh, brought up a good point when it comes to the when you kind of just holding, yeah, man, I you, you do, it's, it's great. Like I, I, I have so many ideas and stuff going on every day and it's, it's cool to kind of hear it coming from someone like you that I look up to and a counterpart where you, you totally get it. And it's, it's refreshing to hear it, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just trying to stay on top of it, stay in front of everything as much as we can. You know, try to be that on that leading edge, whatever that leading edge is.
0: Right. So as kind of, what are your plans once you, I know we kind of talked off the record when it comes to what you got for work coming up, but are you, got, are you anxious to get back out there? Um, obviously you are, but in a sense of kind of seeing how the world will react to these new shows and this idea of pods. And I know we're doing drive-ins now, but there's a lot of concepts and ideas I'm sure you're aware of that, this is going to be the new kind of the new show for the time being. So are you excited to kind of get out there and be at the forefront of that?
1: I am. Yes. Uh, looking forward to getting back out there right now, current client, we're slated to go out back, uh, starting the end of April. Uh, and that's not in the country here yet. Uh, that'd be in Japan and Australia and New Zealand. Um, so I'm curious to see what that's going to look like as we start preparing to the those shows. um, but the other part of me is curious is, is it going to be consistent from country to country? Um, and that country to country thing might be a little more manageable going from, like, Japan to New Zealand and Australia versus hopping countries in Europe, like what we hop states here in the U.S. And if there's going to be different variations of restrictions from country to country. So uh, I'm very curious, I think would be the right word. Awesome.
0: Well, I'm excited to see you out there again, and uh, I appreciate you jumping on here with me. This was a uh, good thing, and I think a lot of people are going to be appreciative of what you had to say. And for those that want to kind of get into the security world, like listen to people like Jason who know what they're talking about. They actually put the time in. I think a lot of people can kind of take a couple of classes online or take this training where it's like, okay, it's cool. You paid to get the trade, You got the trade, But the hands-on and like, actually doing it from the ground up and working in the trenches – it's going to make a world of difference and you're always learning too. So that's, what's great oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. We never stop learning in this industry. So uh, thank you, Jason. And I look forward to hear from you again.
1: Thanks. For talking. Thank you.
0: Hey listeners, I'm Christy and I'm Melissa. And this is buried motives where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirt bag murderers.